Today we'll be discussing the comedy troupe The Kids in the Hall, and we'll be discussing Monkeypox. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll discuss the classic Canadian comedy crew, The Kids in the Hall, who have a new series on Amazon Prime. And we'll be discussing the news-making infectious disease, Monkeypox. I know the monkeypox sounds like a Kids in the Hall sketch, <laughs> where like people turn into monkeys, maybe, but it's not. It could be season two, anybody? Okay, Ali, so I wanted to talk to you about the kids in the hall. We just heard their classic um, theme music a second ago. I love that. Shadowy man on a shadowy beer, 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 beer. I love it. It's, I love uh, it. I lo- I that love was, that so I much. think, I don't know, once I was watching this uh, this recent season, I realized how angry I would have been if they if they had changed the music. Because mm-hmm. uh, once, once that music set in, it's like this blanket of comfort comes over you and you go, yeah, yeah. I watch, I watch the full credits every time, Same. In, even in the new season. I don't skip intro um, for that. Um, so uh, let's talk a bit about the kids in the hall. Um, uh, we'll talk a bit about them maybe just as a whole and our experiences with them, um, how we're exposed to them. And then will there be spoilers, Asif Doja? Uh, will there be spoilers? We'll talk about some of the sketches. I don't think we need to really spoil any of them. We I might, talk about I might be spoiling. You might be spoiling. <laughs> I mean, there's something I have to discuss. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll and then we'll give a warning. That. Let's give a we'll, warning. Yeah, we'll give a warning. I don't think it spoils too much. We don't have to give away the ending of the sketches, maybe, unless maybe that's what you're going to do. Anyway, let's just get started with talking about this, and then we can get into the series in, in a few minutes. So, Kids in the Hall, um, interesting kind of origin story for these guys, right? Because you had Bruce McCulloch and Mark McKinney. Uh, they were doing uh, theater sports in Calgary. And in I- Calgary, which is particular. I mean, that's great for Calgary. I'm sure, you know, my friend Andrew Fung credits them as being like these OGs of theater sports and helping, you know, improv, that improv scene there. But I think also... Torontonians might be shocked to be like, what? You're not one of ours, right? People feel it's such uh, well, a Toronto. I didn't know that. that is this, so is that where Andrew Fung got started? In, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In Calgary. Well, so, I mean, but yeah. can you explain what theater sports are, by the way, just for the uninitiated? I mean, you're, you're, it's basically improv, and, and people go with the understanding that they might be involved in the sketches or in the improv, uh, they might be called upon not just for ideas, but to get on the stage itself. And, uh, and, and not just one person, but sometimes teams of people. Uh, and I think also you have, I, I, the reason it's sports, at least the one time I saw something similar in Vancouver, 
uh, I can speak to that, which was uh, an improv team versus an improv team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have people from the audience involved with the team as well. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And then sort of you vote by applause at the end. You know, it's a it's a everybody wins kind of thing. Yeah. My, my friend Ed, who, again, we'll have on the show sometime because he wrote a book about improv years ago. is one mm-hmm. of the only textbooks back in the day of, of improv. He's a you know, highfalutin MBA guy now, but uh, he was involved in the improv games, the Canadian improv games. So I'm assuming sure. because it's a games, it's the sure. competition. My friend John Hastings, who you know yeah, Jane, more yeah, as John, a yeah. stand-up and a wrestling aficionado, yes. and Andrew Fung, who is the lead and executive mm-hmm. producer of uh, of Now Run the Burbs and previously was on um, Kim's Convenience, also have, uh, have uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a history in the Canadian... Olympic improv games? No, Canadian improv games. Improv games. I don't know. I mean, we'll, again, we'll, Olymp- get, we'll get one of those people on the show to explain it to us, but we yeah. should do a whole kind of deep dive into improv at some point. But uh, anyway, that's kind of beside the point. These guys, Bruce McCulloch, Mark McKinney, were in a group called The Audience. Uh, at the same time, Dave Foley and Kevin McDonald were in Toronto in a, their own group called The Kids in the Hall. And then eventually they decided to kind of perform together and Scott Thompson joined the group and that was how they got the five individual members. And um, interestingly, um, Lorne Michaels, I guess, was trying to scout them as writers for SNL. That's how it kind of first started. We're talking about 1986 here, right? This is a Mm -hmm. long time ago. And then when you think about, okay, what was SNL doing? And then think about what the kids in the hall did back then it's quite groundbreaking and so but lauren michaels i guess eventually they, they were getting really good reviews and the snl scouts would come and they were going to recruit them but then somehow lauren michaels saw them as a troop and was like i can't break these guys up they're too good yeah. together like this is the magic is together so that's why he offered them the show which was yeah, on cbc and, I, I think and HBO. one of them and i think it's scott thompson said had one of us Gone on to Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. Mm-hmm. Kids in the Hall doesn't exist today in yeah. the in the you know, and I'm sure at different times, each of them has thought about what an amazing world that would have been for whoever. But but we as audiences and consumers of their uh, fantastic sketch over the years, um, you know, we would have been deprived of all of that mm-hmm. had Lauren Michaels called even one of them up to mm-hmm. uh, and split to them up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, then they basically had the show afterwards. Um, I was, we said it was on CBC and HBO and that's how I first got exposed to them uh, was through the show. I can remember seeing not just the show, but a preview for the show on some entertainment program i don't know what it was and it was i think that it was the very first sketch on the first show i think where it's like um uh a man wakes up to find a spanish conquistador planting a flag on his chest and claiming his chest in the name of spain and then another explorer comes and also claims it and they get to, from france and they get into an argument and I, re- I so remember watching that and thinking what is this hmm. i i I'd never been exposed to that because i was uh, probably like 12 at the time and just to see a sketch comedy like that i'm like well, this is so bizarre I, and so i'm like i have to watch this show and then of course i tuned in and watched you know the series after that but that was kind of my first uh experience uh with them what about you uh, i think it was on television and i think i was just like I just, it just made, I remember it giving me some Canadian pride, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in the era of uh, the littlest hobo and the beachcombers and very like authentically quote unquote Canadian productions that felt Canadian and you knew you were watching something Canadian. And, you know, I, I, I felt that also with SCTV, I, I was like, this is amazing, but it didn't give me the pride the same way. And I hate to say this and I hate to admit this. I'm really reluctant to say this, but I think produced by Lorne Michaels gave me the fact that an American, mm-hmm. now he's Canadian originally, mm-hmm. and that also, you know, adds to my pride, but a fact, the fact that Lorne Michaels and because Saturday Night Live was his baby and the fact that he put a stamp on, on, on kids in the hall 
made me even more proud. And I hate to say that it had to take, you know, a guy with this American product giving this, but, but really it did because that gives it a stamp of approval for Americans. And so the pride is like, there you go, Americans, look at what we can create. Not only is Lauren Canadian, not only was Jim Carrey Canadian, not only, you know, John Candy, obviously, but this really added to my, my pride in, in Canadian talent in this, in this world as, as comedians. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was almost like, you know, alternative music in the late 80s and early 90s was kind of coming up. And then, you know, you had the boom in, in, in like 91 with Nirvana and things like that. But obviously, it was kind of bubbling under the surface. And we kind of had this pride of alternative music that you and I grew up on. We talked about the Tragically Hip and all these other bands at the time. It's kind of what this was to me is, it, again, it's alternative sketch comedy. It's not like the typical stuff you'd see uh, on Saturday Night Live. And I don't know. I just I just found it fascinating and exciting. I think is is more the so word exciting. because and you know the kids in the hall. We'll talk about the new show in in a few minutes, as we said. But it's like these sketches don't have to make sense, and they don't have to um, have punchlines and and zingers and things like that. That's not what it's all about, and they clearly started off like that and you can tell they do a lot of stuff that they find funny and mm. they find entertaining which obviously i do as well uh but it's just just a different way of approaching comedy i guess that's why it was so exciting i also realized that i really like the format of kids in the hall with like a recurring sketch coming back mm. uh, versus the saturday night live format I really like that Kids in the Hall format. And I know I love it because goodness gracious me, which we will devote some time to as a separate episode, this um, uh, UK sketch. It was all, um, you know, brown sketch troupe. Again, four of them, two women, two men doing hundreds of characters. Again, was the same recurring sketches coming back in the same episode. I just, I don't know. There's something I really, really enjoy about that. So, um, I actually went to a taping of the kids in the hall, um, you know, when I was, I guess in high school, maybe it was in university. I'm not sure. Uh, so a friends of, of, did mine, you drive to Toronto from Ottawa? I, I did not. We took a bus. Okay. So you weren't even back then. It was age, a Voyager yeah. bus. Yeah. Um, even if I was driving age, my parents would not let me take the car to Toronto. That oh, that's fair. That's, so yeah. uh, my friends, Janice and Cameron got some tickets, you know, tickets to tapings are free. You just have to kind of like sign up and call. I mean, back then there was no internet. So they, they were, they called, got the tickets and invited me and my other friend Lee to go down. Me and Lee took the bus down, stayed in like the days in by Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh, it's a relatively sketchy hotel. Yeah. And um, and then went and, and and saw them. We you know ate at, at um, Marche, you know downtown. Oh yeah, did Mo all the typical Dick. Toronto things. Yeah, back yeah, in yeah. The day. so touristy. And back it was then. it was amazing. It was fun. Shadowy Man on a Shadowy Planet were there. They play all the interstitial. What music, was the venue? The theme. Uh, it was at CBC. Okay, so Glenn Gould so we Theater. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I maybe it had remember. a different name at the time, and, but okay. And, and it, but it's a set, right? Because they have to build all the sets, so it's not oh, just one, so right? It's not just one the theater. theater. It's the it, all the sets, and so you can kind of see some of the um, sets more clearly from your seat. Some of them you can't, and they have some tape bits which you'll just watch on a video screen. So sure. it was, it was kind of like, yeah, it's more like a SNL type type taping, I would assume, because they have to have all the sets built and ready to go. Uh, and again, like I said, lots of tape segments because it was taped on film. Uh, that was totally fun. I don't remember, like if you said, which is the exact episode you saw, I don't know, because I've seen so many, it all blurs together. And of course, I've seen them live a couple times, you know, they broke up and then they got back together. So I saw them in the early 2000s. Uh, probably around 2000 or so where they had a, a tour I saw them in Toronto and I saw them again kind of maybe 15 years ago in, in Ottawa um, so yeah I've seen them several times uh, always great you know the, the, the tours they did they brought back some of their classic characters which interestingly they didn't do with, with this new season too much there's a few times they get the classic characters they don't all come back um, and so maybe we'll talk about those in a second but Ali you've had some interactions with I don't know if all the members of the kids in the hall, have you met all of them at some point? I've met all of them at some point. So Scott Thompson, I've had, um, more, um, I was going to say exposure to, which is a weird way of describing it. I've had proper conversations with Scott. Mm -hmm. He was on when I was the, the lead comedy panelist on the George Strombolopoulos tonight show, he was on there and I got to know him in a very special way. Unfiltered Scott Thompson is like 
not fit for a lot of Canadian programming. I mean, he'll he doesn't really care. He's very raw and unfiltered. He's hilarious. But I remember George Strombolopoulos begging him, like, can you talk about anything else that we can actually air on this show? Because right now you're just performing for this live audience. Can you give us anything for a nationally broadcast uh, show? And um, yeah, but he was, you know, I really, really enjoy talking to him, um, particularly because he was also in another show, which I love. One of my favorites. What is it, Asif? American uh, show. It was not the Gary Shandling show, but the Larry Sanders Larry show, Sanders buddy. Show. How dare you even well, was hesitate close. to get yeah, you're, you're close. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, just talking about that era of his life and talking about, you know, Canadian versus American, um, you know, productions mm-hmm. and being a Canadian on an American production. Uh, he has a lot to say about that and it's not always, it's not always great, but we were together on something called the amazing Gale pile. We were in a scene together. We were together on something called what would Sal do? Um, you know, not in the same scenes, but we were there. We've been in man seeking woman, man seeking woman, both of us. So we've been on similar things. He's also a fantastic, serious actor. If anybody has seen Hannibal, that series, Scott Thompson is, I mean, this guy is, I I find him to be absolutely a national treasure. I didn't know he was in that. But now I'm remembering, I actually did not meet him, but we were in the same theater when we saw The Lord of the Rings uh, Return of the King. He was there with his partner uh, at, at the time. And I remember leaving at the same time. I'm like, oh, this is Scott Thompson watching Lord of the Rings. He also seemed very annoyed by the five different endings that took like an hour at the end of the, the movie. So, uh, but anyway, I I, we didn't, I didn't talk to him, but I'm just remembering that now, as you as you mentioned. That's uh, as that random as it gets, right? It there. is, it is. You should ask him if he remembers me. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so anyway, what, what about the That's other guys? Scott, yeah. So Bruce McCullough, I was, I mean, I was thrilled. He called me in, I met him in a uh in a in a hotel once he was like uh, starting to assemble his team for young drunk punk mm-hmm. uh, a show on i believe city tv and he wanted me to be part of the writing team or he was looking at me for that and i was i mean you can imagine i was like overwhelmed by the you know i was like what what have i done to deserve this this is fantastic we couldn't make it work from a time perspective and bruce did say you know i i, I don't know with your schedule and this you know, the the world of a comedian actor, it's like the feast or famine world, right? I, and I was like, Bruce, I'm I'm busy now, but I my August is empty. My September's empty. In mm-hmm. fact, I'm panicking about what I'm gonna do in the fall. Uh, but he just was writing at a time when I was like really Really just, uh, there, there was no time to do. And that was the in-person days, right? The COVID hadn't introduced us to the idea of a writing room being all on Zoom. This was like nine to five, you're in a room and I just couldn't do it for for, for whatever reasons, whatever I was working on. So uh, Bruce and I have met face to face and he's, he's said that he likes my work. Dave Foley, this is actually interesting when you talk about the set that you were on. I was an audience warm-up guy for a few uh, episodes of a show called Spun Out that Dave, Dave Foley led. It was a, it was a good show. It was a fun show. And it was, you know, they brought a bunch of stuff from LA. They flew it to Canada to, to do this multicam show thing, which hadn't been done in over 20 years. So you're basically in the audience. Now I was warming up the audience and it's, it's quite a job. It's five hours of warm up. Every time they cut, I run in and I'm offering things to the crowd. I'm doing trivia. I'm telling jokes. I'm wor- it is nonstop work for audience warm-up guys uh, in, that, uh, in that environment. But what's really interesting is like the set is in front of you and the set of Spun Out was this, um, you know, this PR firm. They do, they do mm-hmm. um, what do you call that? That damage control uh, PR imaging. So they have clients whose images somehow, you know, Justin Bieber was caught punching a, a, a paparazzi member. How do we spin it? You know, that's the spun out. That's the spin. Mm-hmm. They do, do spin for their clients. But then they also meet at a bar um, often. So the set actually rotates oh, certain wow. degrees, you know. 30 degrees, the uh, PR firm disappears and now you're in the bar. And then again, you're whatever, you're in somebody's home in their apartment, the set spins again and you're in, it was incredible to watch. And it's, 
you just get a feeling for how much work goes into this industry sometimes. Mm-hmm. Something that we consume and take for granted. We're like, I didn't really like that episode. Well, you know, <laughs> 180 people worked on that one episode to get that content to you that you consumed in a half hour. I'm always, you know, very uh, you know keen to um, to mention that. Um, then. Who are, yeah, so that's Dave Foley. And then after being a warm-up guy, I also, uh, we went for drinks after a couple of times, so I got to speak to him. And I'm, I'm a fan of his, you know, also I really liked the show he was on for uh, almost a decade. Um, um, news Radio. News Radio, right? Yeah. I really, really liked that show. Yeah. I, you know what? I didn't really love the News Radio. I think it's a bit overrated, but we could talk about I that think another time. because of Phil Hartman... I think I was a big fan of that. I thought, yeah. what's the other guy who's in Barry? I mean, I thought he was so good. Uh, Jay, Jay Jameson. You know what I'm talking about? The mm. Oh, Barry's Stephen Root. Men- yeah, Stephen huh? Root, of course. Stephen Root, for God's yeah, yeah. sake. Yeah. Uh, Kevin McDonald, I, I just uh, saw him at the Gas Station Art Center Theater in Winnipeg a few weeks ago. We, you know, we sort of meet and nod, but I don't know him very well. Mark McKinney was also on Man Seeking Woman the same week that I was and I was getting makeup in the trailer and he was about 20 feet down getting makeup in the trailer. But I think it was also the day he discovered Instagram. He was starting an Instagram page. (laughs) And so he's trying to figure out hashtags and this kind of stuff. So I was sort of shouting out, uh, you know, semi-helpful things at a distance. Like the hashtag is this, uh, but he was very all into Instagram. So there was no real sort of meeting or talking or anything, but, um, don't don't meet someone when they're discovering a social media app. That's yeah, the uh, think, that's I the lesson. So. You should have warned them, but I guess like, yeah. What could you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, don't do it, Mark. Don't do it. But um, I do I do love all these guys, and uh, you know if if anything I'm saying sounds disparaging, uh, please wipe that. Shut you know uh, perish the thought. I'm a big fan of all of them, and and when you watch this this season, also you just. I've met them as themselves. So to watch them become these characters, it's work. They are actors. Mm-hmm. They are phenomenal mm-hmm. actors. And it's, I don't know, I, I have nothing but the highest praise for all of them. So well, let's just take a detour uh, from the highest praise for a second, because, oh. you know, these guys did have some misses in their careers. Uh, the biggest one would be Brain Candy. And there's a great oral history of the Kids in the Hall, which was published by Now Magazine. Those of you who don't mm. know, Now Magazine is a free uh, newspaper that comes out in Toronto, uh, entertainment kind of focus, but also about kind of. Uh, local events. Great. I mean, I used to read it every week when I lived in Toronto. I lived in downtown Toronto. So uh, they have a great oral history. Uh, We'll we'll link to it. And they talk about what happened. uh, You know, basically a brain candy. uh, When they were filming that and making that, when that came out, the group was essentially dissolving. And a lot of this was was Dave Foley wanting to leave. And uh, he really wasn't on speaking terms with a lot of the, the group at the time. I think particularly him and Scott Thompson had a lot of conflict and Dave was out. He was going to be doing news radio. He was like, this is my big chance. He was also in a bug's life, right? Like he was the main character mm. in a bug's life. Like, you know, yeah. he thought this is it. Hollywood stardom is, is, is coming. I'm leaving these guys behind. And so you can kind of see that in the movie brain candy. It, you know, this is them trying to tell a, a narrative story, not sketches. And, you know, I saw in the theater. I mean, I was a big fan of these guys just, wasn't that good i think it's been rediscovered some people you know say it's a cult classic i don't know i haven't rewatched it in years so i'm not sure i didn't watch it and i'm going to blame you and people like you probably you the most Mm. when you know as a fan i trust other fans and i trust my friends um you know less so now as i'm older and i'm realizing we all have different preferences in life and that's okay Mm -hmm. But back then, if my friends who are huge fans were like, oh, it was okay, I was like, you know what? I'm going to preserve the great memories I have of the kids in the hall and not sour that um, legacy in my own mind. So I never, I never watched it, which mm-hmm. is crazy, which is, you I, know, I think, on paper, I think it's of course interesting. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure if it, it yeah. I, I'm curious what you would think. And then, then they did A Death Comes to Town, which was a narrative show they did on mm-hmm. CBC um, in kind of the early to, uh, you know, uh, I think it was around 2010 or so. Um, that I enjoyed. That yeah, I enjoyed yeah. because I, I looked at it something, it's the Kids in the Hall members, Kids in the Hall members doing something different. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at it like, 
hey, they're recreating their sketches, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a completely separate thing. And just like the bonus is that this show is these actors who I've grown to to love for their acting as well. You know? I mean, for me, I thought it was it was it was certainly better than Brain Brain Candy. I. I just kind of like if I felt it petered out and I kind of lost interest towards the end. I wasn't really I think I had them DVR and I just never got around to watching the last few episodes. So um, so those were those were misses. And then um, so that was kind of like the downside. But then I think about, you know, as we're getting as they're getting ready for this series that just came out on, on Amazon Prime, I think about, you know, their hits, though, and. Uh, favorite sketches. Um, I'll tell you my favorite sketches, and I, I didn't realize this till I started listing them for this podcast. I'm like, I think I never thought I had a favorite, but I think Bruce McCulloch is probably my favorite because I list most of his sketches as being mm-hmm. kind of my favorites, and they're certainly the ones that make me laugh out loud the most. And the Kids in the Hall in general is not necessarily to me a laugh out loud show. I don't know if that's the point of a lot of their things. Uh, so maybe it's just, you know, the comic sensibilities for me. Um, but for me, I mean, I love, uh, uh, I love uh, Gavin. Um, Mom, can I have some chocolate chips? Uh, I mean, I still say that to my wife all the time. Uh, I love Cabbage Head. Uh, these are the Daves I know. I mean, that song was amazing uh, back when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and even my pen with, with Gavin. I, uh, again, I remember. I know with Gavin with Bruce McCulloch. Bruce, yeah. I, I remember that. Uh, um, and I like Kathy and Kathy, too. In the, uh, I didn't really remember them until they actually appear in the new uh, series. And I'm like, oh, I love these these women. And, uh, and then, of course, Mark McKinney's Chicken Lady and head crusher head crusher is a bit your mileage may vary uh but chicken lady is like always always a classic man chicken lady as a phone sex operator that sketch was one of the best so uh what do you look like i'm pretty tall oh god it was so good (laughs) (laughs) you know chicken lady is probably their most snl type character right and and mark mckinney was on snl for a few years after yeah it's it's debatable whether it was mark kinney's influence or just blatant theft on the part of snl but there's a lot of sketches that are very kids in the hall ish Ish, on snl and you start to wonder like are you just borrowing heavily i mean what do you do it's the same executive producer as well i'm sure we take it as a compliment i guess that's how we should so what about you for um well, yeah, you know, Chicken Lady, absolutely. Gavin, absolutely. But Gavin, the one that I liked the most was uh, two people come to the door. And I don't know if it's it's sort of like they're trying to sell something or push something. I don't remember what it was. I remember it was Mark McKinney and uh, maybe Kevin McDonald at the door. And it was as if they're, you know, Seventh-day Adventists or um, uh, you know, some religion. They, they came peddling something. Mm. And Gavin just annoyed them so much. <laughs> That they were like, all right, we're out of here. Like, yeah. Can I call you? No, you cannot. Never call us. Stay away. And I love that because my um, my dad's buddy, Farhat, Uncle Farhat, used to do that. He would he would live for um, not Seventh Day Adventists. What is the other the people who come Jehovah's Witnesses? Jehovah's Witnesses. He would love that, and he would spin it and start talking about Islam. And this guy was the most unreligious, irreligious oh, wow. person. So he would start talking about, no, the true word of uh, of God is Islam. And he, he would like mess with them and get in these confrontations with them just to make them leave. So I was like, man, this is Uncle Farad. This, you know, Gavin is early Uncle Farad. I'm going to take a total aside. So my father-in-law is Christian and he is extremely, he's a religious scholar essentially on his own. He's read mm. so much about the history of our world religions and he knows the history of Christianity and the Bible better than anybody. But he also knows a lot, tons about Islam. He knows uh, about Judaism. He knows everything about the history of these things. So when these uh, these people come to the door, he invites them in and sits down with them and has a discussion with them. And clearly they realize how out of their depth depth Uh, they are. They're out of their league. They're like, what? You, okay, yeah. Yeah, this wasn't covered in our weekend seminar. That's right. So anyway, I think they leave all confused for a different reason than Uncle Farrett. So, but on uh, that note, yes. I, other sketches I love. I don't know. Do you remember the Dr. Seuss Bible? I do. I do. Yes, okay. Because yes. that wasn't aired in the original airing. That Canada, that was too Never racy. Never got it. Canada. I, 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 I um, saw it online afterwards. Yeah. 
Because it, it's so, listed in, as a favorite sketch for Americans, but not as much for Canadians. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, referred to as whimsical blasphemy. I'll take that any day. I'm a big fan of that, you know, but just watching uh, Dave Foley do the one day God said to you, I'll send down my son and that's what I'll do. And you just, the mm. whole thing, God talking about what he's going to, I'm really fantastic. I, I thought it was so clever and so well-written. Um, Kevin McDonald has this sketch called things to do. I don't know if you remember that he's got a list of seven things to do mm -hmm. and he's so unbelievably fixated on his seven things. He's like, uh, body checking an old woman and she falls down and wipes out and he goes, oh, sorry, can't, can't deal with that old lady. Got things to do. Got things to do. Right, okay. That's number right, seven. Yeah. Then he gets taken hostage in a car. Dave Foley has a gun up against his head. Like, I don't think you understand the severity of the situation. He goes, oh, I, I, I got things to do. I got things to do. Just rolls out of the car while the car is moving and he's like, oh, okay, you got things to do. Number five. Oh, just body check that old lady again. Okay. Can't worry about that. Got things to do. I love that because that is the level of fixation I need to have to get through a to-do list. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I can't, like 95% mm -hmm. of my to-do lists get left undone in a day mm -hmm. because I just don't, I need that level of fixation. So I love that. And then you don't have this one uh, on your list, which I think is crazy. And it's a sketch called Comfortable. And it's one of the biggest laughs that I had as a young person. I mean, I don't know, I... I I'm, I'm, I think it's like the top three funniest things I ever saw in my life mm -hmm. for a 10 year period, which is these two couples, they're done dinner. Okay. Dining table in the background, they're sitting in their living room and Scott Thompson's character goes, Oh God, I am full. You don't mind if I just unbutton my belt. Do you <laughs> it starts with that. Right. And then the wife goes, honey, Take it easy, you know. Oh, take it easy. We're with this couple. They're our oldest and dearest friends. Come on. Formality is for like strangers. This is our old friends. And then it just grows to like, in fact, they're so old, they wouldn't mind if I walked over and kissed their wife, right? And then he kisses the wife. And then, yeah, gosh, you probably wouldn't even mind if I went and had sex with your wife on the end. So then they're doing it on the dining table in the back. And then, uh, the sketch ends with Scott Thompson's wife uh, just revealing to Dave Foley. He goes, you, you want to know something? That gift you gave us for Christmas, we hated that gift. <laughs> and then everything stops and they have to leave because of the horror. Really just the best. Just, I can't believe that's not even on your list, but it's uh, people, it's called Comfortable. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember oh, so it for sure. You remember it. So people, if you, you, you know, I've ruined it for you if you haven't seen it, but <laughs> please look it up and it's great. And look up the uh, Dr. Seuss Bible and uh, yeah, Chicken Lady is great. It's all good. It's all so good. So with regards to their legacy, I just wanted to mention a couple things. One is, first of all, these guys expose people to this alternative sketch comedy Right. I don't think anything you see now in terms of alternative sketch comedy would be around to the level it is in the U.S. at least without the kids in the hall. So I'm thinking about Great. as a recent example, I think you should leave like Tim Robinson's show is so out there. The sketches are, are just so bizarre, really entertaining show. But I, I think the DNA is in the kids in the hall. Sure. And I <laughs> I was on IMDb looking at some of the reviews for this Kids in the Hall, this latest, mm -hmm. you know, on mm -hmm. Amazon. And it's, I, I hope they love this. I hope they get excited about this. It's tens or ones. Mm -hmm. It's super divisive. It's either nines and tens or tens, you know, ones and twos. No, very, very few five sixes. Everyone's like got one opinion or the other. And one of the, one of the comments on a one out of 10 was like, Never got around to watching the original, but I don't like the dude. First of all, if you never got around to the original, don't watch this. This is not for you. Not everything has to be for everyone. This is not for you. Mm -hmm. If you've never watched the chicken lady and appreciated the, the, these recurring sketches, if you never appreciated Kevin McDonald with a to-do list, body checking a, mm -hmm. a, a senior citizen into a snowbank by mistake, like you're not going to be like, what of are they doing? So, yeah. So first of all, if you've never watched the original, don't start with this. That's ridiculous. This is not for you. Uh, second of all, if you don't like bizarre and absurd, keep it moving. Mm -hmm. You don't need mm -hmm. to stop here at the kids in the hall. You don't need to consume this. It's like 
this is just not, you have to have some appreciation for bizarre and absurd in a way that SNL does not get to. It mm -hmm. just doesn't. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely. Um, so, you know, one thing I just wanted to mention as well, in terms of these guys being groundbreakers, in terms of this bizarre sketch comedy, is also the, them being in drag, right? And mm. for me, watching them in drag, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing because they're not putting on the high voice and, you know, the joke isn't that, oh, look, it's a man dressed up as a woman. Isn't that hilarious? Never. That is not the point. They're dressed up as a woman to convey the point of the sketch and w the the humor happens because of whatever happens in the sketch, not because they're dressed up as women, right? Absolutely. No, and I, you know, I think it took me some time to fully appreciate that. I don't think I appreciated that in the moment. Uh, but once I started watching Goodness Gracious Me later in the 90s, which was a cast of two women and two men, I reflected on the kids in the hall. They simply played women to sort of diversify their sketches. They mm -hmm. needed to play women to play female characters. That's it. It wasn't to look at me, I'm a woman. It wasn't any of that. And I appreciated that later on, maybe a decade later, uh, uh, you know, to, to look at what they were doing, what they were not doing. And um, it's, I don't know, it's, they, they do it in a phenomenal way. I'd love to hear, you know, the impression that um, a female comedian would have on this, but the fact that, you know, there's female comedians in the writing room for them and, and you know, people I know and respect and love part of this show, I, I think that speaks to that, I, I, the respect that people have for the way they played these characters. So let's let's get to it. Let's talk about this new series uh, on Amazon Prime. Eight episodes. I watched them all. Um, I finished them yesterday, two days ago. Um, what about you? Have you? How far are you? I haven't it? finished it uh, because I have four children, and you can. Not only that, I have a wife who's not going to appreciate. I, I just don't want anybody coming in and going, "What? What is this? Why are they doing that?" I just don't want that. Don't mm -hmm. ruin my. You know, this mm -hmm. is my thing. So this mm -hmm. is like. It's it's special time. It's precious time. It has to be late, and so there have been times where I'm like, I, I think I'm gonna watch it, and then my wife's like, Should we continue Ozark? Yes, you know, we my mm -hmm. wife and I don't have that much time yeah. together, so I always differ. So it's this whole juggling act. So no, I haven't finished it, but what I have seen, I've actually, I'm gonna say I love it, and mm -hmm. I and I and I want people to take that with a grain of salt. I love it because I've met all of these human beings. Mm -hmm. I know to some degree what they're like in a very intimate setting. Dave Foley chats in a hotel, uh, you know, in a bar, Bruce in a hotel room as he's like auditioning. He's very frank conversations, Scott. Very... The work they're doing on these characters, first of all, the acting, just the caliber of acting that's happening. I have so, I've just such a phenomenal respect for it. I also see people I know, Brandon Ash Muhammad, Chris Locke, you know, so there's mm -hmm. the Jennifer Goodhue. These are people I've worked with and I know, and some of them are friends. So it's like this thing of like, oh, there's my buddy who is doing this. That's great. So when I say I love it, that's not everybody's love, definitely. Um, but also the depth of some of the sketches. It's really like, it's kind of something special. And, and specifically the one that comes to mind for me is one called Doomsday DJ. Mm-hmm. And um, again, this is why I didn't want to ruin this. If you don't want this ruined for you, if you have not watched episode three, it's in episode three that it's a recurring sketch. Uh, I would, uh, you know, it's it's a, worth a look and, and would love to hear from you. Love to hear your comments on it. Forward ahead a minute, just so I don't ruin this thing for you. Mm -hmm. But this sketch, it's it's the darkness of the fact that it's the end of the days. It's this idea of the fakeness of these morning DJs, right? Who are like, for the microphone, they're like, hey, how are you? But afterwards, they're like, oh, God, I hate my life. It's that person, but also that person's life is actually awful. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know who's listening, but still doing this and just has that one record and the insanity of that one record. It's, it's darkness, it's intelligence, it's incredible satire. And it's like so bizarre, kids in the hall. Mm -hmm. I really, I'm a huge fan of that. And I, and also from an acting perspective, thinking about the cast and crew having to listen to that song 
over and over and over again, take after take after take. And then the editors in the editing room probably mm-hmm. going like, I'm going to shoot myself. I can't, I don't know if I can listen to this thing. I just love it. I love I, the whole thing. Yeah, I think there's a reason that sketch is, is uh, you know, obviously we just have this pandemic that is still going on, finished, probably still going on. We're going to talk about another possible pandemic in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, I, I think there's that, but there's a key thing that happens in this this thing uh, in this sketch, which is that Dave Foley, after he does the DJ stuff, just kind of sits there and looks ahead in the middle distance. So that sad. is the key to this sketch, and I don't know if they could have done it thirty years ago or so when mm. they were doing. I think Dave Foley has the experience; uh, he's older. I, I think that is the key to this sketch and the reason why people like it so much. Definitely encourage people to ch- check out the whole series and that sketch. Overall, I, I like the series. I think it's good. Like I said, I finished it. There are some recurring characters that come in. I won't ruin which ones come back for you because it's a nice little surprise. Uh, but some of the ones I mentioned before, some of the ones I haven't mentioned do come back. Um, I think it's, it, I think it's, you know what? It's so dangerous when you do like a reboot or a retread of these things. Uh, you can see them fall on their face. Coming to America 2 was not good. And Coming yeah. to America is such a great movie. The second, just useless. Um, we talked about Arrested Development. You and I love Arrested Development, but the Netflix series, especially the last one that came on, I, I my daughter was rewatching Arrested Development. I said, just don't even watch it. It'll just ruin the stuff for you so there's a real chance of embarrassment of ruining what you did before and that is not what happens in this i would i, I think totally this basically agree. picks up except the guys are more mature um you will not be disappointed by this for sure again as you said if you do not like kids in the hall you don't like this absurdist alternative sketch comedy you will not like this because no. it's the same thing as before they're not pandering to um to to the mass market they'll they're still niche like they were before and if you like that you'll like it um and if you don't also the fact that it's on amazon asif there's no watering down there is there is male full frontal male nudity there is swearing which is a bit different uh so uh, i I've, I've heard some people saying oh you know this is them trying to be edgy by including nudity and and, and uh um and swearing maybe i actually have more of a problem with the swearing actually than the nudity strangely enough like the swearing i just I, I, they, they never swore in their old show because it was also on cbc uh which is but they use it selectively here for the sake of comedy i don't think yeah. it's random and and just um yeah you, to be cool i no. don't think that's what's happening at i, I all. don't think so i i mean I, I don't agree with that statement i'm just saying that that, <laughs> that that's been out there um but overall I, I think yeah definitely check out the series i think it's good i think it's returned to form hopefully they will get get a second season uh i know that they want people to watch it now i guess with streaming a lot of it depends on not just watches but watches within a certain period of time as scott thompson tweeted that like if you if you're interested just watch it now as soon as you can because that will help to determine whether they get a a second season and just on a on a related note anything that comes out whether it's a book you know web series uh tv show the more of it you watch soon mm-hmm. helps that show. Uh, so podcast downloads. Podcast downloads. Absolutely. You know, um, so um, yeah. anyway, but definitely check it out uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, send us a message and let us know what you thought of it. Okay, Asif, I came into this as a, uh, ignorant as I could be. Uh, You can insert your own joke here, but I did my best not to do my own research because Mm. um, that's always dangerous. You're you're just like everybody else on the internet. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be like sort of a, a, you know, empty vessel here. Um, First of all, you know, as if COVID has not been... um, as if COVID has not depleted us uh, us enough in society and on so many different levels, we didn't need another thing. But, uh, you know, you don't get what you deserve. So we have got <laughs> uh, this thing called monkeypox. I guess I have a lot of questions. How fearful should we be? Mm-hmm. How uh, how real is it? How, how uh, likely is it to spread at the level of something like COVID? What can we do? 
Tons of questions. So let's start with what is monkeypox? Yeah. And by the way, just so you um, uh, are aware and our listeners are aware, there are some pretty good uh, articles about this. We'll link to them. Um, one is in New York Times and one's in The Atlantic. And basically, it's uh, they try and answer this question, how worried should we be? And I think a lot of people don't know. Um, uh, one of them is written by Ed Young. Uh, Ed Young in The Atlantic, he won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on COVID. He's, I mean, if you haven't read his stuff yet, I mean, I don't know what you've been doing the past two and a half years because he's one of the best writers about COVID. Um, How do you spell his last name, by the way? Just let me know. Y-O-N-G. Okay. So, um, but anyway, so th 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 those are some really good resources. So let's talk about this monkeypox. So it was actually, so one of the issues is that it's it's mainly uh, in Africa. And a lot of the researchers who've been looking at monkeypox have been telling people, you know, we need to look at the diseases like this more. And I'll get into the reasons why in a second. But of course, because it occurs in Africa, you know, uh, Western countries, you know, don't pay a lot of attention to it. Now they're calling up these people. If you read the articles, it's the same like three or four uh, scientists who are being quoted all the time because the, they're the experts and they've been trying to get funding for research for years but nobody nobody cares until now and there was a similar thing with covid right you know by uh, uh, a few years ago obviously when the pandemic started anyway it was first discovered in 1958 because there was a pox-like disease that occurred in colonies of monkeys kept for research so somehow they got that and that's why it's called monkey pox we're actually did it spread to humans or was there a risk of that when it the first uh, was in monkeys not at that time. So that, that they thought it was just a, a monkey, like a monkey, you know, specific disease, specific disease. And but they thought it was similar to smallpox. So it kind of has some interest in that. But then um, it was discovered in the DRC, Demo Democratic Republic of Congo, in 1970, uh, because that was a period of time where they're trying to intensify this global effort to eliminate smallpox. So they kind of identified and like, oh, these people have something similar to smallpox, but it's not. Uh, and that's how they kind of realize it can infect humans as well. And it's usually in Central and Western African countries. And we don't actually know the, what we call the natural reservoir, what animal really has it. It has been described in monkeys and rodents as well. Um, but it's only been isolated twice from an animal in nature, like and so not including the monkeys that were in captivity. So it's kind of hard to know exactly how you would get it from these animals and things like that. It belongs to the orthopox virus genus uh, in the family poxviridae. So the reason why this orthopox uh, virus genus is important is because it also includes what's called the variola virus, which causes smallpox. And the vaccina virus, which is used in the smallpox vaccine, so these are all kind of related uh, viruses. Vaccinovirus. Yes, obviously That's it was not a named name, in back. It was named in reverse, That's right? Exactly. <laughs> We're trying to develop the vaccine, and then they named it afterwards. So, uh, I guess what what's interesting with all this is, you know, you and I, I have been vaccinated against smallpox. I'm pretty sure you have. I have too. And uh, that was due to this global effort uh, where they were trying to make people, um, you know, immune to it. Now they stopped vaccinating in Canada against smallpox in 1972, but I was born in 74. So then I had to try and figure out why am I vaccinated? You could tell because you have a scar usually on your shoulder. The way they would inoculate people against smallpox was they'd use a needle and instead of just giving you like one injection, they poke you several times, like 50 times, something like that, in a circular spot. So that's why people have that scar. Mm. And so I have one. And I'm like, why would I still have that? But they stopped doing Canada 72. And it's because, and that's why I think you have it too, Ali, uh, is because we traveled to Ali's checking his shoulder right now. Uh, it's because it? we traveled to India and Pakistan, at least I did, in the 70s. And it wasn't fully eradicated till like 1980 or so. That's when smallpox vaccinations were discontinued. Either I don't have it or because of my rippling muscles, I can't really tell. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so I'm pretty sure that's why. I still have to confirm that with my parents, why I uh, am vaccinated against smallpox. But anyway. But what happens, and this is what the researchers in in Africa have trying to been trying to tell people over time, is now you have less and less people 
vaccinated against smallpox. So it gives the potential for other similar viruses to arise because there's a lot of cross-reactivity between um, the vaccine for smallpox preventing monkeypox. So that's why they, they haven't seen that. But if you look at the numbers, they've slowly been increasing and increasing over time in Africa in terms of monkeypox because there's waning immunity to smallpox. Okay. So obviously there is a concern, first of all, that smallpox might come back, but now we're seeing monkeypox come uh, emerge. And then of course, now we're seeing it in, in Western countries. So that's kind of the, 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 the concern that's been, that's been arisen over the past few weeks. Okay. So you've just told us what it is. I, I'm also want to know what it is in like, what does it look like right, in, right. in human beings? Yeah. What are the symptoms? Yeah. So they're milder than smallpox. Let's just talk about the death rate. <laughs> first of all. So there's actually two kinds kind of forms of monkeypox, um, a milder form and severe form. The severe form has a death rate of about 10% of patients who get it will die. This current form right now Which is a milder sounds, form. It, okay. it, that's quite high. It's that quite sounds high. high. Okay. Uh, and, but, the, 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 but the form that's circulating now is a milder form of monkeypox. That's about a 1% death rate. Mm. Uh, at, the, at the highest, uh, the most virulent form of smallpox has a death rate of 30%. That's why we need to eradicate smallpox because and, and we did we huge. reach those thirty percent levels before the vaccine was created? Definitely, definitely. Again, yeah. there was there's actually kind of a milder variant of smallpox as well, so which has a lower death rate. But yeah, definitely it was, especially in in uh, developing countries. Okay, so obviously you could see the need to do it. So, but to reassure people, small uh, monkeypox is milder than smallpox. So we're not back into that yet. Um, and it's usually self-limited. So Thanks for being hopeful and optimistic. <laughs> I'm the doomsday DJ. Yeah, big time. Um, so what happens is you, with monkeypox, you get a fever, headache, muscle aches, exhaustion. People are like, oh, that sounds kind of like that COVID. Like, <laughs> well, it also I mean, sounds it like is, me on an average weekday. You know? It's, anyway, uh, yeah. you know, typical virus um, symptoms. You get swelling of your lymph nodes. Uh, interestingly, Smallpox does not cause lymph nodes to swell, but um, monkeypox can. And um, usually the time from infection to symptoms is 7 to 14 days, but it can be 5 to 21 days. So that's a concern, right? Because you could be infected, not know it, and then you know, you're in a different country. Now you're back at home, and now A, you're now developing symptoms, and B, perhaps spreading you it. You just took it to another country, yeah. Right. So um, those, those are the main kind of symptoms. Um, then... Uh, one to three days after the fever, you develop a rash, which starts on the face and then spreads to other parts of the body. And so this is the way the lesions look. At first, they're what are called macules, so flat kind of redness, then papules, which are raised, then vesicles, which is like a fluid-filled thing, uh, um, mm. thing, and then pustules. So pustules is fluid-filled uh. with pus. That's what chickenpox looks like, right? When we get chickenpox, remember? Did I like, know want to hear about the pus? And then it scabs over, and then the scabs fall off. And so the whole illness lasts about two to four weeks uh, when you have it. Now, in, in difference with smallpox, uh, smallpox has very similar kind of, of symptoms, but those patients could also get the pock marks and scarring, and I'm not sure how often that happens with monkeypox, um, but that's because smallpox will infect your your sweat glands, which are your sebaceous glands, and because your face has the highest proportion of sebaceous glands, you'd get that scarring. So you don't see that very now, but in very elderly people who may have had smallpox, we're talking people probably in their 70s or 80s, you probably saw a lot when you've traveled internationally. Um, uh, they'll have that very intense kind of scarring on their face uh, that mm. means they survive s smallpox. So th that's basically the symptoms. And, and we'll, we'll, I'll put in our, our social media uh, a link to like a picture of someone who has the active smallpox uh, infection. I guess the next question is, uh, I don't think you've covered this. How do you get it? And I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not immune to the news. So I, I did hear about um, media reports about it being sexually transmitted, but is it more than that? Yeah, so that's a bit, well, let's talk a bit about that. I think that's a lot of theories, but maybe not a lot of proof for that. I think we should wait a bit on that, but let's start with how it gets transmitted. So it comes, you get it if, if you come into contact with 
um, uh, the virus from either an animal or a human or something contaminated with the virus. Uh, it can enter the body through a broken skin, the respiratory tract, or, you know, your mucous membranes, eyes, nose, and mouth. Um, and if it's an animal, it could be through a scratch or bite or if you ate like bush meat or something like that. Okay, so eyes, nose, and mouth. So not, we shouldn't be talking about this as a sexually transmitted disease. So there is no evidence right now whether it is or isn't sexually transmitted. Again, we just don't know the research. Mm. But the reason why is because the human to human transmission occurs through large respiratory droplets and again we all know about airborne versus droplets yeah. now through covid i mean it's been years and years we've been talking to talk about this but it's not felt to be airborne like covid has now basically been shown to be it's more respiratory droplets so you need to be within a few feet of each other um so you need really to get it from another person prolonged face-to-face -face contact so you know, certainly if you're having, um, you know, sex with somebody, you could, um, it could be sexually transmitted through body fluids, but you're also having prolonged contact with them. So it doesn't need to be sexually transmitted, you know, through body fluids for you to still get it because you're obviously, you know, in close contact with somebody else. So that's why that's a bit, um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure about that. Basically, here's what 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 they've said. The Dr. David Heyman, who was... Uh, uh, head of the WHO's emergency response kind of department told the Associated Press that the leading theory was that the sexual transmission occurred at raves or during sexual contact in uh, raves held in Spain and the Canary Islands and in Belgium. And the unusual thing about that, it was like no, a lot of the people who have been contracting it had no contact with anybody in Africa where it's endemic. So they were trying to figure out why. So that's basically what they said. So like they said a pride event in Canary Islands, a sauna, men's sauna in Madrid. So again, it's, you know, it may have occurred in these situations. It is occurring more frequently in the situation of men who have sex with men, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that it's exclusively for that. And certainly we don't want our, uh, you know, uh, to to vilify any group of people uh, like was done with the AIDS crisis in the 80s. I mean, you know, so I think um, the, the jury is still out there. And I think to think, oh, well, I, I don't have sex with men, so I'm not at risk for it. That's not the case. Uh, and so I, I think that that's, that's an important uh, thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, I'll tell you one kind of side story about getting it from animals. So outbreaks are very small and not usually an issue, but the fact that we're seeing more and more outbreaks you know, around the world is a bit concerning. The only significant American outbreak occurred in 2003. There was a shipment of Ghanaian rodents to America. I'm not sure why everybody wanted Ghanaian rodents, but they did. And they spread the virus to prairie dogs in Illinois. And those prairie dogs were sold as pets. Again, who buys prairie dogs as pets? I don't know. And it, it infected 47 people. Nobody died, but this was in, in Illinois in 2003. So that was like the last big um, um, uh, monkeypox infection in, in North America. So, you know, you described in, 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 in nice detail, thank you very much, what it looks like on one's body. But then you also said within two to four weeks, you know, it's sort of the scabs fall off and then it's, what, is it over? Like, yeah, could you yeah, literally usually, not usually. seek any treatment for it and have it just in and out of your system? Is that Yeah, you don't necessarily need to seek treatment. Um, there is a, um, a treatment called Ticoviramat, uh, which is an actual treatment. So, you know, there's treatments and then there's immunizations, right? So those are kind of two different things as we know. Uh, but this Ticoviramat has been stockpiled, uh, to treat smallpox. Mainly this stuff has been developed and stockpiled and funded because of, uh, concerns about bioterrorism, right? People reintroducing smallpox, you know, that's like in the, uh, in movies, right? Someone steals a vial of this and they're going to use it to, to make a, a bioweapon. So they have that stockpile. It, it's supposed to work for smallpox, but likely, in all likelihood, could treat monkeypox as well. Um, but there's also vaccines uh, as well. So in the uh, US, there's a vaccine called Genios, uh, in, in Canada, it's marketed as 
Imvamune, Imvamune, I guess. Um, and uh, I haven't, I haven't said these out loud, so that's why I'm mm, trying to like it. I can and tell. so these, <laughs> these were developed uh, for people who had allergies to the smallpox vaccine. Um, and so it's, 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 um, it, it's again supposed to be used for uh, smallpox, but it, in theory, will prevent monkeypox as well. So what they're doing is they're using it. Uh, for people who may have been exposed, who um, have been in close contact with somebody who has a confirmed case of monkeypox, or certain healthcare professionals, or if you're handling materials, like people in labs and things like that, uh, they, ha they have this. And so it's being used as what we call post-exposure prophylaxis. Again, we know that term, post-exposure prophylaxis, because we talked a lot about with the HIV uh, literature, right? In terms of, you know, you've been exposed to someone, maybe uh, I've been exposed to someone, maybe they have HIV or not, you can take post-exposure prophylaxis. So what they've been doing, and they just started doing this in Quebec, it's the first province to start vaccinating close contacts of those who are infected. So that's called ring vaccination, right? So you have an individual, you find out who their close contacts, family members, etc., are, and you vaccinate all those people. So you vaccinate them, hopefully uh, they won't either A, get sick, B, won't get as sick, but then you prevent a wider infection and in them uh, infecting other people. So they've been doing that in other areas, but Quebec just started, I think, last week uh, agreeing to do the uh, ring vaccination because the initial cases were in Quebec. And at last count, I checked yesterday, they have 52 confirmed cases of monkeypox mm -hmm. in, in Quebec. Uh, and now it's been in where you live in Toronto as well. I don't know about where I live in Ottawa. I don't think there's been any cases yet. But uh, so that's that's the idea. So hopefully with this ring vaccination um, uh, strategy, we'll be able to to, to contain it. Uh, okay. In in summary, Doctor slash DJ Asif Doja, how can people protect themselves against this, and how much do we really have to worry about this? Yeah, it's. I think we need to be cautious about it. I think. Same thing as before, right? If you're sick, don't go out. And I think I, I'm wondering if we're swinging back too much the other way while being like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, COVID's over. Let's all go out and party and stuff like that. I'm not sure we should be doing it. I think we should be a bit more cautious. Uh, masks definitely help with droplet um, um, exposure. Yeah. Um, so we, we know that for sure. I mean, we do that in the hospital all the time, even pre-COVID. So I, I think it's, I think maybe we shouldn't be too to relax about that, especially if there are cases where you live, right? If there are some cases, you might want to think about that. Um, any situation where you're going to be in close contact with other people, you, you might want to think about uh, wearing a mask again. And uh, I'll just leave you with this um, quote from Lindsay Marr, uh, who's an aerosol expert at Virginia Tech. Again, this is in those articles I mentioned to you by uh, in the New York Times and the Atlantic by Ed Young. Uh, she, she says, I'm in team cautious. We can't use what happened with previous monkeypox outbreaks to make sweeping statements. In other words, she means that these are often self-limited and they tend to rise and fall in, in Africa. You'll have a big peak, then it'll peter out. Then, and then they're like, oh, it's because the DNA changes slowly. So we're not worried about infection or, or resistance or things like that or rapid mutation like we've seen in coronavirus. Uh, but you know, it's different. It's not the same as coronavirus. It's a DNA-based virus. Um, so she says, listen, if we've learned anything from COVID, it's to have humility. So don't mm. pretend we know anything. Acknowledge that we don't. Try and be um, cautious about things. Um, conservative, you know. Uh, don't just say, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Uh, it, interesting in these articles as well, though, they talk about the whole messaging uh, from governments. And the problem is, uh, you know, there's very clear messaging that you should do for outbreaks that have been uh, advocated by the WHO, CDC, Health Canada, etc. The problem is, Politicians didn't do that with COVID, right? They said, oh, it's no problem. We're fine. No, we're not. Oh, no, things are crazy. We need to lock down. And people have heard mixed messages. So the faith has been lost in trust in in um, because of COVID. So again, I think it's important for all of us to not make any assumptions, as, this, as Lindsay Marr says, based on our previous experience, right? You should go into this new, fresh, maybe... Uh, Remember the things that helped with COVID, but don't start making any sweeping generalizations now.
we started this show talking about our favorite comedy, but the idea of somebody having uh, COVID and monkeypox at the same time is incredibly oh, unfunny to me. I know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. Be safe out there, everyone. Hopefully this helped in some way or the other. Um, Asif, I will say this to end on a funny note. My, um, my book, Is mm-hmm. There Bacon in Heaven? We just got uh, advanced copies yesterday in the mail. My publisher sent those to me. So it was, uh, I was, I was, I haven't felt myself trembling uh, with, with excitement before, uh, in, in quite some time, I should say. Not, I haven't before, but uh, just to see it and hold the book in my hand was uh, kind of insane. So we'll have more details on that. People who want to get their hands on an advanced copy, I'll have details soon, but it's out there. It's happening. You know, it's crazy. Um, yeah, well, and it's going to be officially launched in September 27th is the uh, official sale date. Yeah. Seventh. Very exciting. So, you know, in the lead up to that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll feature some excerpts from the book. Uh, I'll read it and then maybe I'll give you guys my criticism of it. Okay. That'll be great. Um, your father is featured in the book, by the way. Oh, wow. I'll have to get him a a signed copy. We'll have to. It's, uh, he's, he was, he was was a prominent figure in our, in, in the life that my parents uh, established for themselves, you know? So, yeah. I'm, I wouldn't be here where I am if not for your dad, I feel sometimes. Oh, wow. Well, that's, yeah. that's nice to hear. I'll definitely let him know that and let us know what you guys thought about this episode. How excited are you about Kids in the Hall and Ollie's book? And how not excited are you about Monkeypox? <laughs> I would think very for all of them. So uh, let us know, drvcomedian.gmail.com. Reach out to us on social media, drvcomedian. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're everywhere. Uh, let us know what you think about the show. Uh, let us know what you thought about Kids in the Hall, especially. Um did you guys like it or not? Very curious what people think. And as Ollie said, what if you never like kids in the hall or never were exposed to them before? Do you like it or not? Very curious for, for people. And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. And they're not medical advice. Please consult medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.